Thanks, Ben. Uh, welcome to Jay's Talk. Jay's Talk Mini. We'll say I'm Blake Murphy. With you for the next half hour here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Little break between games, as you do in a traditional doubleheader. Not something we've had a lot of. The biggest takeaway from the last little bit of that game, a 7-3 Blue Jays win, is, I think, the trickle-down effect that that's going to have on game two. And we'll go through why in just a second. Uh, you could send your texts into 590-590 if you've got thoughts on that first game or what the what the second game might look like. But you're heading into the ninth with a 4-3 lead. Jordan Romano has pitched the last two days. He's available if you really need him, but the plan is Jimmy Garcia gets first crack. So Jimmy Garcia is up with a one-run lead. You tack on a couple extras, and then Trevor Richards gets up. Casey Lawrence gets up. You end up using Zach Pop in the ninth. And because Kevin Gosman gave you six and two-thirds, you use Tim Meza for 16 pitches, Adam Simber for just eight, Zach Pop for 11. You've got seven more arms in the pen that you haven't used yet today. Now, Romano, you'd probably like to avoid maybe even Anthony Bass, but if this is a close game, this is a playoff race. Everything's on the table there. But you maintained Jimmy Garcia's availability late in the game. You've got a few of your medium trusted arms available in a Richards Phelps threw 22 pitches yesterday. He's probably available again though. Um, and then again, names like Romano and Bass in a tight spot. You could probably even go to Simber again. I know they, it's pretty unlikely they do that, but you probably could. And then if for whatever reason you need length, whether that's because Jose Brios is out early or because you get another big lead, and the leverage is low, you've got Casey Lawrence and Yusei Kikuchi kicking around as well. Compare that to Baltimore, where they had to use four pitchers, all of them for a decent number of pitches. Crable, Baker, Hall, and Seltzer. Now, Seltzer, you're probably not that worried about. D.L. Hall looked unplayable in that one. But your bullpen is not in as great a shape as you would have liked. You don't having to use an extra arm on top of DL hall and lengthening the game that way is probably a little disappointing. So the Jays manage it. Well, that's about as good as you could hope for from the first side of a double header. Your starter gives you some length. You don't burn out the bullpen and the bats get going a little bit. Thanks in part to DL hall. The Jays put up, Seven runs on 14 hits in that one. Also drew three walks. Only struck out five times. They even went four for 13 with runners in scoring position. Which doesn't sound that great. Percentage (laughs) batting stats never sound great in small samples. But that's a 308 average. If you're hitting 308 with runners in scoring position for the season, you're golden. So the offense comes around a little late, but it comes around. Now you'll have Jose Brios up against Jordan Lyles. In a minute here, we'll go through uh, the lineups for the second part of this game. When we have them, we'll take a little look at Jordan Lyles and what's been going on with Jose Brios. We've got some text in the text line as well. Alex from Toronto says, great to see the boys rally in the ninth. Can you ask your stat wizard when was the last time both Vladdy and Bo had hits in the same inning? Nice to see these guys potentially heating up at the right time. Alex, I am the stat wizard, and I can tell you that the last time it happened was Tuesday against the Cubs. Uh, as much as it does feel like those guys haven't been hot at the same time, it's baseball. You, you're gonna you're gonna have weird innings like that, even when even if guys are cold. Uh, the first inning against Marcus Stroman, Vlad singled and Bo doubled. So there you go. There's your answer. But yes, it is nice to see some bats coming around. I've been very impressed with the improvements Bo Bichette has made from an approach standpoint the last little while. He even had a swinging strikeout in the top of the seventh with men on. 
And it's a swinging strikeout. So the, the result there is not great, obviously. However, he got down 0-2 in that plate appearance. And both of those pitches were called strikes that were borderline. They're what you'd call good takes. He fought back to get that count to 3-2 before the eventual strikeout. And Brian Baker just happened to hit 100 on the radar gun twice in that plate appearance after doing it once all season this year. Um, so not a great result, but you got pinched a little bit. You fought through it. You battled back in the count, and yeah, you struck out, but that's a really quality plate appearance. And I think that's indicative of how Bo Bichette's approach has improved over the last little bit. We also saw Santiago Espinal have an 11-pitch walk that kind of, it didn't get that ninth inning going because Lourdes Gurriel had already singled and advanced the second on a wild pitch. But if DL Hall were looking for a calm down plate appearance, going 11 pitches to walk Espinal certainly wasn't that. That puts an extra man on. Then Springer has the RBI single. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has the RBI single. Bo Bichette has an RBI single. Uh, they chase DL Hall. And then, yeah, Jackie Bradley Jr. ground into a double play with the bases loaded. Uh, what are you going to do? Peter in Toronto says, the Jays lead the American League in grounding into double plays, but less talked about is the fact that they're tied for first in giving up the most home runs. Um, instead of focusing on pitch, swing, and miss, shouldn't they try to reduce the number of home runs they give up? Uh, well, I would say that those things are fairly related, Peter. Um, if you are not striking batters out, that means there are going to be balls in play. And this is why swing and miss stuff is important because if someone can't make contact with it, they can't hit it out of the park. Um, it's all right. And they're not, I mean, they're tied with Minnesota for most home runs per nine for the bullpen. Um, that's true. The bullpen's obviously been significantly better since about the all-star break. They're now even on the season, which included some pretty rough start to the year. Uh, they're 12th in bullpen ERA, which isn't everything, but it's a, at this point in the year, it's a pretty good snapshot of where you're at. And then if we look at just since, uh, since the all-star break, they're second to only Cleveland in bullpen area at 265. So even though they have given up a good number of home runs, you're absolutely right about that. The results are the results and they, they're not putting guys on base. They're not walking a lot of batters. I would love to see more swing and miss stuff. Um, they're also up there in strikeouts per nine over this last little bit though. Um, they've got since the all-star break, they're fifth in strikeouts per nine among bullpens. Now, some of that is maybe smoke and mirrors because in terms of pure swinging strike rate, they're just league average over that stretch, but even league average is a nice step forward. So uh, I don't think it's a, a fret about the bullpen kind of day. Certainly not the way today went. Uh, Bob from Mount Albert says, why does the team who's won 13 of 17 feel like they're barely over 500 uh, over the same stretch? I don't know, man. It's just how baseball goes. And I think that angels three game sweep is such an extreme that it feels that way. And yeah, you're, uh, you're right that it can feel that way, but let's, let's zoom out a little bit here. And you're right. They have been winning a lot of baseball games. They're doing pretty well here. Um, we'll look around at the standings uh, in just a minute here. We've got to take a break first, but when we come back, we'll look at the standings. We'll update. What does this Toronto versus Baltimore race look like at this point? Oh, before we take that break, Casey Lawrence has been optioned to Buffalo. Zach Collins has been designated for assignment and Julian Merriweather has been reinstated from the 60 day IL. So no Casey Lawrence in this one, but you got a fresh Julian Merriweather. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll look around uh, what's what's going on in baseball. We'll tee up the second part of this game when we have some lineups. That's next on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to Jay's Talk. I'm Blake Murphy. We got game two for you of this Jay's Orioles doubleheader coming up sometime around 505. 
the Jays are going to have reinforcements. Julian Merriweather is back. We said it right before the break. Zach Collins wears the DFA to clear the 40-man spot. A little surprised it was Collins and not Capra, but I think if they need another catcher at this point, it'll be Mourinho. Um, So there you go. Collins, DFA. Casey Lawrence optioned down to AAA. So he was warming up last game, but they won't use him. He'll go through this. He'll go through this stretch without having pitched over his couple days in the majors. Uh, Jays do a decent job. I'm a little surprised now that Casey Lawrence didn't pitch that ninth, considering uh, that was coming. We don't have the Jays lineup for this one yet, but we do know who the Orioles are going to trot out there against Jose Brios. And it's very, very similar to what you saw in game one. Top four are the same. Cedric Mullins, Adley Rutschman, Anthony Santander, Ryan Mountcastle. Rutschman is at DH, though, is the change there. He won't catch two in a row. He'll be followed by Gunnar Henderson, bumps up to the five spot. Uh, He'll be one to watch in this one. He is a very, very good defensive prospect. He made two pretty bad plays in that one that could have gotten the Orioles out of some trouble and extended innings, both potential double play balls. You know, the Jays love to ground into double plays with runners in scoring position. Gunnar Henderson saved them a couple. Henderson will be followed by Ramon Urias. So those two just flip in the order. Rugnet Odor and Kyle Stowers check in at seven, eight. The reason for that in part is Jose Brios has pretty extreme platoon splits. That gives the Orioles six guys hitting from the left side against Brios today. Robin Citrinos rounds it out as the catcher. No Jays lineup just yet. So let's take a look at Jordan Lyles. Oh, actually, before we do that, it's time for the Bet365 standings update. Bet365 is the world's favorite sports book with 63 million members worldwide. 19 plus, play responsibly, Ontario only. So let's take a look at what the Bet365 standings update has for us. The Jays beat the Orioles. They are now three and a half games up on them, which means they now have a three and a half game cushion for that final playoff spot. The Yankees won as well, so the Jays don't gain any ground there. They have a chance to gain half a game in the second one here. Uh, But the big one, the big headline item is three and a half games up on Baltimore. Now Uh, Tampa Bay's in action against Boston right now. They're half a game up on the Jays presently Seattle, a game and a half up on the Jays. They've got the white Sox a little later. Cleveland, Minnesota, and Chicago are kind of in their own sub race at this point. The winner of that sub race will take the AL central the other two teams are probably far enough out of the wild card at this point that barring multiple AL central teams going on a big run, they might not factor in. Uh, so the big race is can Baltimore catch one of these wild card teams, the Jays winning seven to three in the first game pushes them three and a half ahead. They have a lot of games left against Baltimore. They have a lot of games left against Baltimore uh, this week still. So the second part of this doubleheader is huge. You win this one, you've got a four and a half game cushion. You can then take a look at the next two games in the series, the rest of the series. And if you split them, you're okay with that. You, you come out of the series having gained two games, games on them. You lose the second game. You erode the progress of the first one and things are still a little too tight. I can tell you four and a half will feel a lot better at the end of today than two and a half would. Um, so that's a look at your bet. Three, six, five standings update. We have a Blue Jays lineup now. So here's how they'll line up against Jordan Lyles. George Springer leads off once again. He'll be the designated hitter in game two. He's followed by Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. So no change to the top three. Uh, Alejandro Kirk draws out for this one. He caught the first game. So Matt Chapman gets the bump to the cleanup spot. He'll be back at third base in this one after DHing the first game. Teoscar Hernandez stays in the five spot. Kevin Biggio getting another nod here. He'll slide up to sixth in the order and play second base. Rymel Tapia draws in. He'll play left field and hit seventh. Danny Jansen catches Jose Barrios and Jackie Bradley Jr. Plays center 
and rounds it out. So a rare three lefty day for the Blue Jays. You don't see that very often. Uh, interesting to note that Whit Merrifield didn't start in either of those games. He had a pinch hit and stayed in the game as a defensive replacement in the first game, but no start for him on either side. Again, Biggio, Tapia, and Jackie Bradley all in the lineup. It begs the question, is Jordan Lyles a pretty significant platoon split guy? He certainly is this year. Lefties have hit 283 off of him with a slugging percentage of over 500. Uh, historically, that has not always been the case. He was actually a reverse splits guy last year, 2020. He was pretty neutral. And then if you go back past that, he was a pretty extreme splits guy. Now, one of the things with platoon splits is when you're bad, the platoon splits kind of start to hide themselves because everyone's hitting you. And that was certainly the case for Jordan Lyles the last two years in Texas this year, though. He's been better. He comes into this one having started 27 games. He's got a 425 ERA. Uh, most of the back, the peripheral stats suggest that's close to how he's performed. Uh, expected ERA, which is the stat cast metric, has him closer to 4.7 than 4.25, but that's a pretty small difference. He doesn't miss a ton of bats. He's a pretty typical Baltimore Oriole in that way. Uh, 18% strikeout rate, but he doesn't walk a lot of batters, just 7% walk rate. Um, not a ton, a ton of swing and miss. This is the type of guy that has given the blue Jays some trouble. It's someone with out elite stuff, but someone who can throw a lot at you and can pitch for lack of a better term. He'll throw six different pitches. His fastball only comes in around 92. Against righties, he'll lead with the slider. The slider is by far his most used pitch against righties. Uh, it's a pretty good, it's his best swing and miss pitch. It's not a great swing and miss pitch by the standard of all sliders, but for his repertoire, it's a pretty good one for him. Uh, and batters haven't been able to square it up for power. So against righties, he'll go slider. Then the four seam fastball, which has been, hit pretty regularly all year. He's got a sinker as well. When it's profiling well off the four seamer, uh, it can be effective, but it's a pretty high contact pitch. You can poke that into the field. You can babip him. You can Kevin Gosman him uh, against righties. He'll also then throw curveball and an occasional changeup against lefties. He's a tough one to figure out. He's going to pound the fastball a lot more. He'll then go change up curveballs as secondaries, but he'll also throw sinker slider cutter. So if you're a lefty, you got to keep six pitches in mind. If you're a righty, you can sit a little bit more three pitches plus the occasional curveball. If you're a lefty, just go up there, uh, go up there guessing one of six. Again, not a ton of chase out of the zone here. Not a ton of swing and miss, not a ton of strikeout. Um, and you can hit him hard. He's about league average in terms of average exit velocity, um, but he will give up some barrels. He'll give up some hard hit stuff. The Jays have 122 plate appearances against him collectively. They've done pretty well. Matt Chapman seven for 19 against him with four home runs. So if you're wondering why Matt Chapman's in the cleanup spot for this second game, seven for 19 with four home runs and two walks is a pretty good track record against a pitcher. George Springer's weirdly one for 14 against Lyles. Nothing really in the profile that screams, well, you can't do this. George Springer can't hit this guy. It's just one of those things where sometimes a pitcher has your number for a little bit. Rymel Tapia getting the nod is interesting. He's five for 15. It's a 333 batting average. He has a couple extra base hits against Lyles. So a good spot to get Toppy in is what I'm sure they were looking at. Kevin Biggio is also two for five against him in his career with a home run. So again, we're talking tiny samples, but that stuff adds up over the course of uh, an entire game or an entire set of lineup decisions. Uh, Vlad and Teoscar have also taken him for home runs before. Uh, so is Bradley Zimmer. So maybe you could look ahead to a Bradley Zimmer pinch hit. I don't think so, but it's uh, it's there as an option. Um, on the other side, Jose Brios has faced this Baltimore team uh, a little less than the Jays have faced Lyles. 63 plate appearances against him, and he has terrific numbers. 
Rugnet Odor, who's drawing in in this one and hitting seven, is one for 12 with five strikeouts against Barrios. You'll be shocked to learn this. One of the Orioles who does have success against Jose Barrios is Ryan Mountcastle. He's homered off him twice. Of course he has. He's Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, Adley Rutschman has also homered off Brios, but for the most part, they've struggled. As a team, they're 11 for 59 against him with 15 strikeouts. So pretty good numbers overall. Um, Brios, of course, has been pretty up and down this year. So we'll see how this holds up. The interesting part of this game from a bullpen perspective is that Julian Merriweather has been activated. It's felt like we were waiting for this for a while and you don't want to Charlie Brown, the football too many times with the same guy. But when we talk about bullpen versatility, it's not just righty lefty ground ball fly boy. It's are you giving hitters a different look or something different to think about? And Merriweather is absolutely that from a velocity perspective, from a potential swing and miss perspective. That thing's 97. It'll go 98. And yeah, he's had some issues in terms of actual success at the major league level. He's had some problems with home runs. He's had some problems with the swing and miss stuff not always translating. But he's really limited his walks, which is great. Uh, He didn't do that on his rehab assignment. He did have a little bit of trouble with walks, but he's made 11 appearances at AAA this year, 12 innings, uh, zero earned runs. 14 innings if you include his lower minors uh, starts. And he has just a monster 35% strikeout rate. So he's ready to get a look here. And it doesn't hurt to get him a look because you've got to decide who that last man in the bullpen is going to be come playoff time. Is it Merriweather? Is it Zach Pop? Do you want someone with a little more length? Is it maybe both Merriweather and Pop if you say Kikuchi can't get back in the trust tree? A lot of good reasons to to take a look at Merriweather here. Um, also, the his rehab time was up, but you yeah, had to bring him off the 60-man at some point. By the way, uh, Arden Zwelling providing us the information that uh, Kevin Gosman has been warned by umpires about that balk that he was called for in the past. Um, Gosman said, before I even threw the pitch, I heard him calling box, so that made me mad. Uh, sure. That was a, that could have been a bigger talking point. So too could have been the missed call on a potential strike three that led to the Anthony Santander home run, his first of two in the game. But Gosman got those calls back a couple times. Adam Simber got one back too. Uh, I think the Bach and that one call probably even out over the course of the game. The Jays, Anthony Bass said they need to bury the Baltimore Orioles and put them out of the race. You took the first step here. It's going to feel a lot different. If you win two of two heading into the rest of the series versus if you split them, there's a little bit of buzz, a little bit of momentum coming out of that one. Maybe adding a bunch of insurance runs in the ninth and setting yourself up better for the second game is great. It's going to be fun. I'm ready to go. We're ready to go. Thanks for listening to Blue Jays baseball. Served up by the always game-ready Jack Link's Meat Snacks. Feed your wild side, baseball fans. We're going to kick it over to Ben Wagner down in Baltimore momentarily here. I'll be back with Jays Talk for you post-game. I'm Blake Murphy on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Jays, looking to take two. That Kawhi Leonard, why not take two? Good evening. Welcome to Jay's Talk. Part, I don't know, two and a half of the day. We're with you for a little while here. Digest the Jays taking two from Baltimore. They win the first one, 7-3. A lot of insurance runs in the ninth. They win the second one, 8-4. A whole lot of Boba Whole lot of Boba Six hits on the day for Boba including three home runs in the second game. The first shortstop in American League history to do that. Obviously, there are just not a lot of opportunities to have uh, doubleheader days, but still, 
six hits and three home runs. That's a pretty, it's a pretty good day when you've uh, been hitting below your career standard for a chunk of the year. That's a way to quickly course correct your numbers. By the way, Bobochette last year, when we adjust for the environment, the offensive environment of the league, the last two years, he had a WRC plus of 120 and 122. That means he was 20% above league average at the plate and then 22% above league average at the plate. After today, 118. Bobochette, right back where you expected him, maybe a tad below, but a three homer day will boost those numbers pretty quickly. He's up to 78 RBI on the season as well. Probably doesn't have a shot at getting to a hundred unless he gets super hot down the stretch here. Like he did last year to finish with 102, but nice day for Bobachet. Nice couple weeks for Bobachet from an approach standpoint, from uh, doing the right things and hoping the results will follow standpoint. So the Jays win two against the Orioles. Very important series. Ross Stripling and Anthony Bass said it. You got to bury this team. You could justifiably feel like this wild card race is tighter than it should otherwise be in part because teams like the blue Jays and they weren't the only ones guilty of it, but let Baltimore hang around a little too long. Baltimore has been a really fun story this year. They're obviously a good team. They're loaded with good prospects. I think if Tampa Bay and Seattle and Toronto and the Yankees and the Astros were being honest with you, they would say this has gone on a little too long. Get out of the race. Taking two in a doubleheader. Good way to gain some separation there. There's two more in this series. The Jays still have 14 of their next 19 against Baltimore and Tampa Bay. So lots of work still ahead. But that cushion on a playoff spot right now is two games larger than it was at the start of the day. The Jays are now 75 and 59, 16 games over 500. The Jays have won five in a row. Believe it or not, considering all the streakiness talk, that surrounded that angel series 14 and five in their last 19. And perhaps most impressively, especially if you don't think the Jays can grab the number one wild card spot, which would mean playing on the road 11 and one in their last 12 road games. They're cooking. They got a very good start from Kevin Gosman today. They got an okay start from Jose Barrios. And I don't want to hang those last couple runs on Barrios too much. He gives up three runs, two earned over six. He loaded the bases. That's on him. A catcher interference to score a run though. And then turning it over to the bullpen. That, that's he pitched about as well as that line says two earned over six. I say that because he only struck out two batters. And if you want one tiny shred of negativity from a very good day and a very good weekend, is that Jose Barrios only got two called or swinging strikes with his fastball and sinker today as 4.3%. So two out of 47 fastballs or sinkers were called or swinging strikes. That is the lowest rate of his career in any start by an order of magnitude. He continues to go through it a little bit with the fastball encouraging though, that despite that he gives you six innings and only gives up two earned. And the Jays once again win a Jose Barrios start 10 and five with a 523 ERA at this point. So good things on the Brio side, the Brio's side of the outing, other than the weather was without as much fanfare as the Kevin Gosman one. And we're going to take your text to 590-590. We're going to take your calls to star 590 if you're on mobile or 888 or if you're local, 416-870-0590. But before we do that, I want to take you back to what felt at the, mo- at the moment it could be a tone setter for nonsense for the day. And it was Kevin Gosman getting called for a balk for basically what his delivery is every time. Kevin Gosman was asked about it after the game and sounded like he was still pretty fired up. Here's Gosman talking about the Bach call in game one of this doubleheader. You know, just the fact that there's no warning given, um, you know, first chance a guy gets on first, you're going to 
call something like that. Um, you know, I kind of knew going into the game to be a little bit more aware of it and felt like I actually stopped on that pitch. And so if you actually look at the replay, I did stop. And so, you know, um, I just felt like Jeff, for whatever reason, wanted to make that call and went into the game knowing that he was going to make that call. And, um, it's unfortunate. Obviously, I was pretty heated and, you know, Bo kind of saved me and, and did a good job of kind of just reminding me like, hey, we got two games today. It's not just one game. And so um, really need you to stay in the game. So you were expecting a balk call coming into this game? I wasn't expecting a balk call, but I was expecting either, I mean, every outing, one, one umpire says something to me about it. Hey, make sure you stop. Um, so I was kind of maybe expecting something like that or even a warning. And so for it to happen right away, I mean, before I even threw the pitch, I heard him calling Bach. And so, you know, that, that kind of made me pretty mad. Doesn't it get worse when you, like, you know that they're looking for it? Yeah, I mean, that's what's annoying. And, um, you know, usually it's the third base umpire. And it's because the third base coach is over there just kind of, hey, you didn't stop that time again. And so usually that's where it comes from. It's usually rare that it comes from you know, the umpire in the field. And so um, that's kind of even more so. I just felt like it was like premeditated. You know, they knew they were going to do it. I wanted to make an example of me. And, you know, it just so happened that, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that it kind of put me in a spot where I was, you know, OO with the guy on second all of a sudden after a blue pit. So, you know, but got out of it and uh, made some really good pitches to get out of it. You. Yeah, usually when they check, when they do their sticky stuff check, they usually say, hey, make sure you give me a stop, or hey, you're getting pretty close to a balk. Um, you know, but I have a pretty good relationship with most umpires, and that's kind of all it takes. Um, you know, I just thought it was premeditated. That was Kevin Gosman. Not, you know, a pitcher isn't very happy when he's referring to the umpire by just his first name. Oh, yeah, Jeff knew he was going to call that. Uh, never a great sign when you know the umpire's names anyway. The best umpires are the ones you don't notice and don't know who they are. Turns out Bo Bichette's six hits and three home runs weren't the biggest play he made all day. It was keeping Kevin Gosman cool and keeping Kevin Gosman in the game. The Jays managed this doubleheader extremely well in terms of, well, obviously they won the two games, but you want to look ahead to the rest of the series. There are two more games before you have an off day, two more games and two more chances to continue to get separation between yourself and the Orioles. The next two games are pretty important. Mitch white starts tomorrow against Kyle Bradish. That's the one spot in this series where you don't have the starting pitching advantage Mitch white has struggled to give you length at times. So the fact that you got through a doubleheader today with two wins against a team you're tight with, and you didn't have to use Jimmy Garcia, Jordan Romano or Anthony bass. So they'll be ready to roll as the series continues. Pretty big tertiary win. We'll say after the, after the first two wins, also great to just see the bats going again, 15 runs over the two games today. And yeah, the Orioles basically had to cobble together two bullpen days because of the way the rotation worked out and Jordan Lyles being a late scratch in game two because he quote, didn't feel well. You have to feel a little bit for Bruce Zimmerman who they put him out there in the rain, in the cold against the Jays team that was heating up and said, wear it, bud. He threw 92 pitches over six innings to save that Baltimore bullpen live to fight another day, basically. So good for him made for some good hitting for the Jays. Bo homered off of him twice. He also homered off of Vespi earlier in the game and Kevin Biggio got in on it with a lefty lefty home run off Zimmerman as well. By the way, speaking of lefty lefty, Jackie Bradley Jr. with three hits down in the nine spot. You do that more often and uh, you'll be just fine when it comes to finding playing time. Over the double header, you got two Bradley Zimmer appearances, still no plate appearance, of course, but two Bradley Zimmer appearances. Uh, if you're looking for such things, Whit Merrifield more or less uh, not around though. He pinch hit in game one. 
Kirk and Jansen split the catching duties. Springer and Chapman split the DH duties. This team should be in pretty good shape with an off day Thursday and two games left in the series to play the next couple games as if they're must win. They're not at this point, but like Bass and Stripling have said, and this is an attitude you would want your team to carry into a series like this. You got to put them away. You got to bury them in Anthony Bass's words. Good step in that direction with two wins today. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to, we're going to look at how the, how the standing shape up right now after the two wins for the Jays today. We're also going to take your texts, 590, 590. And take your calls. You can hit star 590 on your mobile, or you can call 888 or 416-870-0590. We're with you till about nine o'clock. So we got lots of time. I know that the calls are usually spicier after bad games. You're 14 and five in your last 19. You won five in a row. You took care of business on the weekend and in a doubleheader. It's okay to send a call or a text that's just pleased with how things are going the last couple of days. We'll talk to you guys next as Jay's talk continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to Jay's talk. I'm Blake Murphy. I'm with you till the 45 on the clock as we continue to process the Jays take it two. go down to Camden, take a pair, play through the rain, play through the stretching your bullpen out, all that great stuff. Bo Bichette comes through in both games in a big way. Kevin Gosman, Jose Barrios, the bullpen holds it down. You even see Julian Merriweather and you get the full Julian Merriweather experience. First time you've seen him in the major since June 14th. And you get uh, a couple of electric pitches high in the nineties and he gives up a home run, but who cares? Cause it's low leverage. It's time for the bet three, six, five standings update. Bet three, six, five is the world's favorite sports book with 63 million members worldwide, 19 plus play responsibly Ontario only. And what a day to look at the bet three, six, five standings update, because that's why this series feels so big. It's why taking two in the double header feels so big. The Toronto blue Jays are now four and a half games up on the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles are the last team out or the next team in, in the wild card race. So this is how it stacks up. Seattle holds the top wild card spot at this moment. They're in action right now against the white Sox. They're losing. So that could be a tie between Seattle and Tampa by the end of the night. Tampa Bay won earlier, by the way, they came back to beat Boston. The Jays are half a game back of Tampa, one back of Seattle right now, and potentially half back of Seattle if Chicago can hold on to that one. Then you got a big old gap, four and a half games before you get to Baltimore, and then you have that mess of an AL Central division where Cleveland has lost five in a row. Minnesota is the streakiest team in baseball, and the White Sox are still hanging around. Those three teams separated by just two games. Cleveland and Kansas city just got underway. So that'll change by the end of the night, but that's a tight one. Whichever teams don't win that division right now, are at least six and a half games back of the Jays. So the Jays are not comfortable yet. You have too many games left against Baltimore and Tampa Bay. 14 of your next 19 are still against those two teams. So it's too early for comfort, but a four and a half game gap is a lot better than the two and a half you entered the day with and the 0.5 you could have theoretically left the day with. You're also only five and a half back of the Yankees, by the way. Probably not doable, but you've won 14 of your last 19. You keep winning at that clip and maybe the Yankees are catchable. You'll have to keep an eye on that in the bet 365 standings update on Jay's talk after every game. We've got a whole bunch of texts in the text line. And they're more upbeat than usual. Because again, the Jays won 14 of their last 19. We'll start it off in the region. The 519. Tony from Kitchener says Jeff Nelson has had it out for the Blue Jays since that Oakland game. Uh, didn't know he was adding fire to Gosman. If that's a balk, then Luis Garcia needs to get a ball every time because he dances to come set. Yeah, there are a lot of that. It, to Gosman's point, we played the audio a little earlier. 
to Gosman's point, it's more about the you didn't warn him, and that's consistently his delivery. So give him a heads up. He felt that Jeff Nelson was ready to make that call before it even happened. Um, Chad from St. Mary's had asked earlier in the day about not using Simber uh, for an extra inning in that first game. He'd only thrown eight pitches, and then the Jays opened up the lead a little further. My guess is they figured that that was a way to make sure Simber was available tomorrow if they need him. Um, he'd also pitched Friday, Saturday, so maybe they were looking at a longer-term thing. But I, I thought that was uh, was a little bit of a, an interesting one, too. Colin in Calgary likes that a couple players talked about the need to bury the Orioles in this series coming off a sweep of the Pirates. I agree. I saw some people who didn't like the talking about it or mentioning it or giving whiteboard material or whatever. No, this is the time of year that you need to have that attitude. And maybe you prefer players not to say it out loud, but also if they tiptoed around it, you probably wouldn't like that either. Matt from Victoria. uh, Is it just me or does Espinal average at least 10 pitches per at bat, an underrated skill to get pitchers out early. You're not wrong. He had that 11 pitch walk in game one that went a long way to starting that ninth inning, not starting, but continuing that ninth inning rally really got to DL hall. I don't know about 10 pitches per plate appearance, but he's uh he does pretty well for himself. It's something that, you know, it's, he hasn't obviously had the best couple of months when it comes to, hitting at the plate and on the season, he's at 3.9 pitches per plate appearance, which isn't, you know, alarmingly high or anything like that. That's about league average, but yeah, it's good to have good process. Even when you're struggling a little bit, by the way, while we're taking texts from people, shout out to the blue Jays fans who were at the games in the ninth inning of the second part of a doubleheader on the road on a day it had been raining on and off all day, you could still hear Jays fans coming through on the broadcast. So we know Jays fans travel well to stick out to in the rain and keep it going, keep the energy there the whole way. Like there were only 17 people left at Camden by the end of that game. It felt like, uh, and I think they were all Jays fans. So good on the fans who made that trip. Uh, and the fans who make all those trips, whether it was Pittsburgh this past weekend, Seattle, Minnesota, uh, it's a great trait for a fan base to have and for a franchise to carry. Um, someone who didn't sign theirs is wondering why Merriweather's getting another chance because they drafted him in Cleveland. Um, Should have kept Zach Collins on the MLB roster. Honestly, like you just, you need pitchers. You don't need a third catcher. Who's not going to play. You already don't use your bench guys much. Merriweather was coming up on his maximum days before you had to make a decision on him. I understand it in terms of bullpen versatility. He's going to give up the odd long ball, but you don't have many options in the pen who can bring it like him from a velocity standpoint, a bat missing standpoint. And he's been so good in the minors that you might as well kick the tires one more time. That last reliever spot is going to be pretty fluid anyway. Uh, Sam from Manitoba wants to know if the playoffs started tomorrow, what would my lineup be? I think, you know, your top seven for sure. And the questions are at second base. I would probably still go Espinal, but you could play Espinal Biggio depending on the matchups. Biggio had a good day today. He's been fine. He's been better at the plate than Espinal over the last little while, but Espinal is a superior defender. And when the Jays shift, whether in the infield or with a fourth outfielder, Espinal is a really big part of that. And when you're talking eight or nine in the order, maybe you lean that way. The other question would be, well, what's what kind of DH day is it? Is it Springer at DH? Is it Kirk at DH and Jansen behind the plate? Is it, you know, whatever the iteration And then that other spot is determined by that. I would probably go Jansen at catcher and Kirk at the DH spot in a one game have to win. Now we have 
a whole bunch of texts about Boba Shett. Three homers in game two. Six hits on the day. First American League shortstop to ever do that in one day. Kyler in Prince Edward County says, I think Bo woke up. Tony from Kitchener says, we all owe Bo an apology, especially Billy from Markham. Uh, yeah. Mike in Saskatoon says, I bet we don't hear any Bo Bichette BS today. Bo might be back. Uh, yeah. Yes. A lot of good Bo stuff today. It's been coming for a little bit. The process has improved. I mentioned even in game one, he had a swinging strikeout, but it was an, a plate appearance where he got down 0-2, taking two borderline strikes. Those are good takes. And then he fought his way back to 3-2, eventually struck out. But that's a good pro, That's good process. That's good plate appearance. You get down 0-2, but it's on good selectivity, not swinging at anything. And then you fight your way all the way back into a neutral count. Like that's, that's good process. And you've seen that more and more over the last couple of weeks. You had to think this was coming eventually. Uh, Ed from Brampton asks if the Jays will keep Zach pop once activated. Um, he has to go back down. He was the 29th man for this one. And he hadn't, the only reason he was allowed to come up is because it was a 29th man doubleheader day. He hadn't completed his like 15 days since he'd been optioned down. Um, he'll be back in the mix at some point. I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Uh, William from Georgina says, good job timing the bathroom breaks today, Blake. Yes, thank you. Thank you, William from Georgina. That is the toughest part of doing a doubleheader. I don't know how Ben Wagner does it, but nine hours is uh, a long time to lay out your coffee. Thank goodness Armin was around to to make a coffee run for us, uh, for me and him and Tom uh, midway through game one. I don't know. Some of us were maybe at Wu-Tang and Nas last night and needed a second or perhaps third coffee today. I don't know. So, oh yeah. Uh, Joe and Barry says in regard to the Toronto fans in Baltimore, the Jose chance when Odor was batting. Yes, that's always fun. He did get a home run though. I don't know how that guy manages to be a part of the story all the time. Um, Tim and Listowel says yesterday, I've never felt less confident after a series sweep. And then today this team may win it all. Yeah. That's kind of been the story on this Jays team this year. When the bats get going and the starters look like the starters should, they're a really good team. Um, I lost a question. There was a question in here about whether the Jays should intentionally want the, oh yes, uh, Andrew in London says, wondering if the Jays being road warriors who seem to keep winning on the road would be best served to have their first playoff series on the road rather than at home. I think that the third wild card spot is preferable to the second wild card spot. I would rather go on the road to play the AL Central winner than go on the road to play Tampa Bay or Seattle, but you want home field advantage if you can get it. So I, I don't start thinking that way until and unless the division and the first wild card become completely out of reach. When you're only a game, maybe even half a game back after the games tonight, you got to target home field advantage. Your record's still better at home than it is on the road. Um, that's gate revenue. That's sleeping in your own bed. That's not having to worry about travel. There are a lot of advantages to that. Andy in Burlington said the Jays needed some adverse, some adversary, sorry, to set them straight. They got into some bad habits and were believing their hype. Maybe it's possible. It wouldn't really explain why they had a random angels mishap in the middle of two stretches of winning seven and eight, but what do you got to do? Anthony from Toronto listening in Detroit uh, is worried a little bit about Vlad's swinging at the first pitch and too many double plays on Jay's talk. Plus tomorrow I'm back in the three to five slot this week, by the way, Joe Siddle will join early in the show tomorrow. And we're going to talk more about the Vlad ground ball stuff. Joe had a really great breakdown of some of the swing mechanics that are leading to those double plays. I want to get into some of the pitch selection with him as well. So um, not to push your question off Anthony, but 
we're going to go deeper on that one tomorrow in a way that we can spend a little more time with. Jude from Brandon, Manitoba on the Espinal Biggio thing basically thinks it should just be a straight platoon. Espinal's OPS against lefties is over 800 and is poor versus righties. Biggio's better against righties. And then, yeah, a platoon works out great. And Espinal could be a defensive replacement, pinch hitter, pinch runner. I That's what I thought the case was going to be at the start of the year. Those two in a platoon. And then Espinal wrestled some more of the time away. Whit Merrifield is the, uh, the question mark in there because they're going to want to get him semi-regular plate appearances as well. Someone who didn't sign there is asked if I'm going to make it to the My Chemical Romance concert in time. We'll see. We'll see how fast I can hustle uh, after we're off the air here. It's been a good day. It's been a long day, but it's been a good day. It started with Kevin Gosman getting pinched on what should have been a strike three and Anthony Santander homering right after, and then us almost getting hit with a rain delay. And then the rest of the day played out where a couple poor umpire calls went in the Jays' favor. The rain kept coming, but never delayed the game. The bats started going. Gosman settled in after the, even with the Bach call. The bullpen came through. The Jays added insurance in the ninth. Roll into the next game. Bobachek gets three home runs. Jose Brios has a decent start. The bullpen holds it down again. You win two against a team that's right behind you in the playoff race. You're now four and a half games up. You got two more against them. Anthony Bass, Ross Stripling, probably still telling their guys, bury them. That's what you're going to want to do tomorrow. You've got Mitch White and a back end of the bullpen that you didn't have to use in either game today. And Romano Garcia and Bass, you're in good shape. And then you've got Alec Manoa on Wednesday. Thanks for listening to Blue Jays baseball served up by the always game ready. Jack links, meat snacks, feed your wild side baseball fans. I've been Blake Murphy on the sports radio network. I'll talk to you at 3 PM tomorrow for Jays talk plus. We'll be right back.